Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, church family. Happy Sunday. I want you to, if you would, just use your imagination for a minute, but this pot is filled with boiling water. Okay, so you got that in your head? Now I want you to picture what happens if I take this egg and I subject it to a pot of boiling water. Become hard-boiled. Take this apple, on the other hand, and I subject it to the same heat. I put it in a pot of boiling water. And what happens? Becomes mush. Take these ground coffee beans, put it in a pot of boiling water. What happens? The property, joy. Somebody said joy. That's very true. I had my joy this morning and lots of it. So here we go. What happens is the property of the water gets changed. So let me go back over these again. The egg gets put in the boiling water and it becomes hard-boiled. It becomes hard-hearted. The apple gets soft and mushy and the coffee beans change the property of the water. Let me ask you, what do we want to be as a church? See, we're all going to get subjected to the boiling heat of culture. We're all going to get subjected to the boiling heat of sin, of Satan, of his desires for this world. Question is, as a church, what do we become? If we're like the egg, we become hard-hearted. We just get mad at the world. We don't like what's going on and everybody's going to know about it. Or we might become like the apple. We just become soft and weak and just give in to everything that the culture is doing. And we look just like them. Or we become like the coffee grounds. We're going to go out and change the property of the water. Let's change the culture. Now, we don't make the change. The Lord Jesus through us makes the change. But remember Galatians 2.20 tells us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If I have got the creator of the universe who came and died for me and then rose again living inside of me, we should be culture changers. And that's going to be our deep desire for this church body as the days, the weeks, the months, the years go by. With that being said, if you want to be a culture changer, guess what you're going to have to be subjected to? Remember, the only way that the coffee is going to change the culture is if it gets poured into that boiling water. Now, we've got options. We could sit around and be happy with our holy huddles, and don't get me wrong, at times getting together and just getting encouraged and being together and praying for each other and growing is a good thing, but we also have to leave these four walls and get thrown into the boiling hot water. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to become? And I'm praying we become coffee grounds. I'm, becoming, I'm praying we become joy to the world. If you would, would you take your Bibles, and then at the same time, would you stand with me as we take a look at our sixth of seven churches? We're almost there, and then we're done with the churches, but we are on the church in Philadelphia, which is Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. This is a church that, as you are about to see, was not an egg, was not an apple, but was definitely the coffee grounds. If I was going to rename the sermon, I would call it the coffee grounds church. That's what we want to be. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. 
I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you again, gang. You can have a seat. Faithfulness. Jesus is looking for faithfulness in the midst of the boiling water, in the midst of what's going on in culture, in the midst of what's going on in our society. He's looking for faithfulness. And you'll see with the church in Philadelphia, that faithfulness to Christ provided an open door to bring him glory. And here's the good news. Every time we bring him glory, we get to receive rewards unimaginable. Think about that for a moment. Every time you bring the Lord glory... Scripture speaks to these rewards or these crowns that we're going to get to receive. And they're not for selfish motives, because guess what we're going to do with those crowns? You're going to lay them right down at the feet of Jesus. You're going to give them right back to him. You're going to use those to honor and to worship him. Man, I can't wait. Well, Philadelphia and Smyrna were two of the seven churches, only the only two, uh, of the seven churches addressed in Revelation that actually received no criticism. And again, that does not mean that the church in Smyrna or the church in Philadelphia was perfect. It just means that they were in the habit of trusting Jesus with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he commended them for it and actually didn't have any criticism of them. So the question at hand this week for us as a church body is, how does New Covenant Church become a group of people that has its gaze so fixed on Jesus and constantly bringing him glory, that we give ourselves an open door of opportunity to bring him glory, and then to receive rewards unimaginable. Listen, if we're going to be seeking anything, it should be the rewards that are going to be eternal, that we're going to get from Jesus. Because everything else this side of heaven, although they might seem nice for the moment, they're temporal, and they're going to go away, and they're going to burn up. So I don't know about you, but I want those things that are going to last forever. I want those rewards that are going to last forever. And can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus and because of what he did on your behalf and are simply placing our faith and trust in him, he's going to look at us and say, say, welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we get to cast whatever crowns we have at his feet in worship. So how do we get there? How do we get to a point of being a church that constantly brings him glory and then gets to receive rewards unimaginable. Well, we're going to get there, but it always starts with a proper understanding of his character. Does anybody sitting in this room know what our mission statement is as a church? We've said it a few times. I think it's on your bulletin so you could cheat. What's our mission statement as a church body? To know Jesus and to make him known. I, I know there's like churches all over the country that have that. That's okay. I just think that it fits who we want to be. 
More than anything else, I want us to know Jesus at a deep and intimate level. And the more we get to know him, the more we can't wait to tell others about him. At least that's the way it should be. The more we get to know Jesus, the more I can't wait to tell others about him. There are so many false ideas and ideologies out there about who Jesus is and what he has come to do that we need to get out there and tell as many people as we possibly can about our Jesus. And again, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to tell people about who he is. And at the beginning of all seven letters to all seven churches, Jesus always starts with letting that church know something about his character. Man, what a blast that by the time we get to the end of these seven churches, the letters to these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we've got at least seven awesome descriptions of who Jesus is. Well, what does he tell us this morning? Verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. What does that tell us about his character? Well, it points to his deity and it points to his authority. Again, remember, two of the most important things for us to know about Jesus are the person of Jesus and the works of Jesus. In other words, what is his character? What is, the, what is one of the most important things we need to know about him? He is God in flesh. 100% God and 100% man. If he was not God, then his death on the cross could not fully pay for the penalty of our sin. He could not fully appease the wrath of the Father that has to be poured out upon sin unless he was fully God. But then he was also fully man in order to be able to die for us. But then it also speaks to his authority. He has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Let's, let's break this down little by little, but the first term that's used is the word holy. If you all remember, the word holy in the Greek is the word hagias, which literally means to be set apart. It was first used in the Old Testament of different utensils that might have been used in the temple to worship God. So if they were going to use a temple or, or a, a utensil in the temple, something like this that they were going to use to worship the Lord with or uh, some other type of spoon or some type of other silverware that they were going to use to worship the Lord with or tongs that they were going to place upon the altar. They would make sure that it went through an extensive cleansing ritual before they ever used it. Then they would set it apart for special use only in the temple and nowhere else. Did you know that Jesus has called you to a life that is completely set apart for a special use as a follower of him? He has set you apart. He's completely cleansed you from all sin, past, present, and future, and now you are set aside to be used by him. But it starts with him. He is the Holy One. What makes you holy? Him. Because remember, you have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That is why you can be seen as absolutely holy. It starts with it's because of who Jesus is. No one can match our Jesus. This is going to sound like we're bragging, but listen, if you're going to brag or boast about anything, let it be about Jesus, not about us. I am not much to be desired. I will mess up. I will get angry over dumb things. I will say dumb things. I will think dumb things. Jesus will never let you down, ever. The second term that's used is that word true. It's the word aletheinos in the Greek. It literally means genuine or faithful. If you want to know somebody that's absolutely genuine and absolutely faithful in everything that they say, in other words, they will accomplish or will do everything they have ever said, it's the Lord Jesus. And this really plays into the next description of his character. It's that final term that we look at, the one who has the key of David, 
who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Throughout the Bible, keys were always a symbol of authority. The one that held the keys to the city is the one that had authority over that entire city. Well, we're not being told that Jesus has the keys to a city. Jesus has the keys to the entire kingdom. And when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about both the heavenly kingdom of God and then all of the universe that has been created. Notice that Jesus doesn't have a key. There is a little Greek definite article there. It's the word ha or the. He has the key. He has the authority to access all of heaven's resources. All of it. So every time I go to the Lord in prayer and I pray in Jesus' name, I'm praying to the one and in the authority of the one that has access to all of heaven's resources. Do you know, what, do you know how to be successful in life? It's not about moving up the ladder of success in a career. It's not about having the fastest car or the biggest house or even the best health or even the sharpest mind. Do you know what the key to success in life is? Knowing the creator of life. There is the key to success because he has got the answers to every single one of our problems. Do you know how we fix the mess that we're in with murder rates skyrocketing? Do you know how we fix the mess that we're in with divorce rates skyrocketing? Do you know how we fix the mess that we're in with drug use and suicide and teenage pregnancy and all of the above? Do you know how all of those get fixed? It's coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing him glory in everything that we do. I don't mean that to sound too simplistic, but when you get to know Jesus, how powerful he is, how glorious he is, how majestic he is, and your sole goal is to be like him in everything that you do, you can't go wrong. Think about that for a moment. You can't go wrong. I can't bring glory and honor to the creator of the universe and still treat my wife like garbage, not take time to be with my kids, not to pray over this church body, not to treat the, the lady at the checkout stand in the grocery store well, not to tell people about Jesus. I, I can't mess any of that up if I'm bringing him honor and glory. Where do I get messed up? As soon as I decide that Dave's in charge. Guess what happens when Dave's in charge? Lots of things get messed up real quick, and that's not where we want to be. So because of the fact that Jesus has the key, this is exactly why the Apostle Paul could write in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Again, do you want to know how to be successful in life? Be like Jesus. Because everything this side of heaven that's temporal is going to go away. But that what matters for eternity is being stored up in heaven every time we bring honor and glory to Jesus. All right, verses 8 through 10. Here we go. We're getting to the commendation, Christ's commendation for this church. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. If I can stop there for a minute, why does he say, I know you have but little power? Well, we don't know for sure because he doesn't unpack it, but what we do know is that the church in Philadelphia had the smallest number of people in it of the seven churches, and yet they're doing the most for the Lord. Majority is not always right. Might does not always make right. 
So he says, Behold, I make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. What is Christ's commendation to this church? It's that their works are consistent with their faith, and they're keeping his word despite all the idolatry and the immorality around them. Due to their faithfulness to Jesus, he gives them this open door. He says, you've been faithful. Now I'm going to open the door wide for you to jump through it and keep bringing me honor and glory, and then watch what I will do as a result. Let us not forget, faithfulness to Christ provides an open door to bring him glory and to receive rewards unimaginable. Well, then Jesus commends them for their their perseverance in the midst of persecution. They got thrown into the pot, but remember what they are. They're the coffee grounds. They're changing the culture. They're changing the water. And he says, you're even doing it in the midst of a synagogue of Satan. You got a bunch of people over here that are calling themselves Jews, but yet they're denying Jesus as God, as Lord, as Savior, as Messiah, and they're actually bashing you and persecuting you for it. And that is going to happen to the church more and more. The closer you walk with Jesus and the more you serve him, the more you are going to get bashed for it. And unfortunately, it's even happening inside the church and inside denominations. Let me just encourage you, that shouldn't surprise us. We are told very clearly by Jesus himself in the Gospels. We're told very clear, especially by the Apostle Peter. John tells us, Jesus tells us in the book of John, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Why? Because it hated him first. So just be ready for that. Those times are coming. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. You know why? I'm faithful. And do you know what he is faithful to do? He's faithful to vindicate his saints. Look at what happens. They will come in verse 9, and they will bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Scripture speaks to this. Again, we're not going to get big-headed about it. We only get to do this because of Jesus. But did you know that we get to be co-heirs with Christ? I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but it's going to happen. Then he finishes his commendation by telling them, but I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. This apparently speaks to the seven-year tribulation. Now, we're going to get to this in Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to ask everybody to relax for just a moment. Do you know one of the most heated things that we get into in the church? It comes to end times eschatology. Some of us are over here going, we're going to get raptured out of here before the tribulation. Some are thinking, no, I think we'll go through about half of it, then we'll get raptured out of here. Others are saying, no, I think we're going to go through the whole tribulation, and then we'll get raptured out of here. I will tip my hand ahead of time, because I'm going to preach it when we get to Revelation 4, but I think we're going to get raptured out of here before the tribulation. If I'm wrong, then we're going to experience hell on earth for a period of time. Most of us aren't going to live through it. We're probably going to get our heads chopped off, and then we'll be in heaven anyway. So one way or another... Let me just say this. Here is the most important part about the rapture. Here's the most important part about the second coming of Jesus. He is coming again. We need to be more wrapped up in the who. Now catch this. Let's get more wrapped up in the who and the why than just the when. 
Again, I'll speak to more of that later. But let's not get too angry at each other over where we land on the rapture. I, I think, I'm telling you, just, and I've studied this over and over and over again, I think, based off some of these statements that Jesus made here in, in Revelation 3, that we'll get raptured out of here beforehand. We don't get told flat out this is what's going to happen. It's going to be at the beginning, it's going to be at the middle, it's going to be at the end. But you know what we do get told for sure? I'm coming again. For sure, I'm coming again. That's what I'm excited about. He's coming again. He's going to take us home. I can't wait for that time to happen. Whenever that happens, oh, I'm so excited. In the meantime, do you know what we're supposed to be doing? Getting to know Jesus and making him known everywhere we go. Go make Jesus known everywhere you go. And why? Because faithfulness to Christ leads to an open door to bring him glory and to receive our rewards unimaginable. Well, if I could go on to verse 11, listen to what Jesus says. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. That word soon is a little bit deceiving. When we translate that word, it literally should say without announcement or suddenly or unexpectedly. In fact, that's the third point in your notes, and that is that the challenge to the church in Philadelphia is to hold fast to what they have because Jesus is going to come unexpectedly. The word soon in the Greek is the word taku. That word taku literally means suddenly, unexpectedly, without announcement at any moment. In other words, it doesn't mean that Jesus is coming soon in relation to time. It means that it is the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. There's nothing else that has to happen before Jesus comes. One of the last things that needed to happen in order for the door to be wide open for Jesus to return again was that God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, had to be back in their homeland and be an established people group again. For a long, long time, people were saying, that's never going to happen. So those promises that God made are never going to get fulfilled. So all you wackos who think that Jesus is going to return, it isn't going to happen. Then guess what? In the year of 1948 and in the month of May, this massive event took place that shook the world. Anybody know what it is? Thousands upon thousands of Jews returned home and the, and the nation of Israel was established as a nation all over again. Gang, let me ask you, does God keep his promises? Absolutely, and I want to bring that up because when I said earlier about the rapture and the second coming, remember what's most important is he is going to come again. There are a lot of movements out there right now that have said, well, Jesus has been saying for 2,000 years he's going to come again. So maybe we just messed something up. Let's come up with a new interpretation. Maybe what Jesus was saying is he was just going to come spiritually and he's reigning in our hearts. I'm not going to get too deep into that now because we will cover that later. But if you remember, Jesus said specifically, I am coming again for you. He is going to come again. When he ascended into heaven and the disciples were looking for him, why did those angelic beings tell the disciples that were looking up into heaven? Don't worry. The same way that you saw him go, 
he's going to come again. So unless we do all kinds of what we would call hermeneutical gymnastics, if you're wondering, Herman who? Hermeneutics is just the art and science of studying the Bible. Unless we call, do all kinds of gymnastics and jump through all kinds of hoops, we have to completely do away with God's original intention and meaning for that passage of Scripture. So here's what I'm getting at. Jesus is coming again. Scripture makes that as clear as can be. Let me move us on to verses 12 and 13. It says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love this. This is the counsel. This is the encouragement. But what is the counsel of Christ? Hold fast to your faith. And then when you do, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. You will have eternal security in God's family. And you will have a new name signifying that you belong to him. Listen, please don't miss that. These are amazing promises that you and I get. I'm excited about these promises. We get to be a pillar in the temple of God. We have eternal security in God's family. And we get a new name signifying that we belong to him. Now, for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been building this spiritual temple called the church. Now, Paul and Peter both taught that every follower of Jesus is a living stone in this spiritual temple. Well, here's where we might get a little bit afraid. Revelation 21, verse 22, John writes, Well, there is no more temple, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So what happens to us? Okay, don't miss this. This was an idiom of their day. It's kind of like saying that guy or that gal is a pillar in their community. To be called a pillar is to be recognized as one who has a special place of honor and authority. So you and I get to have a special place of honor and authority in God's temple, in God's kingdom. Why? Because we're awesome? Just say no, or you might trip and fall on your face on the way out of here. No, we're not awesome at all. But I know somebody who is, and he's the one who takes up residence in our life. Here's the second reward that we get promised. I love these. We shall never go out of it. We shall never go out of God's city that he's building for us, that kingdom that we get to go live in. In the original temple, you all remember the high priest could only go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies once a year. And in order to go beyond the veil, what did he have to do? He had to go through extensive cleansing rituals. But then Christ comes and he dies. You all remember the significant event that happens in the temple when Christ dies? The veil of the temple is torn into from top to bottom, letting us know that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have not only been atoned for, but have been taken away. So now we can enter into the presence of God at any point in time. We don't ever have to go out of it. One day I'm going to be in heaven, and I'm never going to be taken out of it. Once I am brought into God's family, I'm never going to be taken out of it. That is a great and precious promise. But then there's the final reward that Jesus promised to the overcomer. And that was the giving of three special names. Did you all see those names? We get the name of God, which signifies his ownership over us. God says, I'm putting my name on you, which means I own you. Has anybody ever been involved at all in any type of farming 
or seen a cow branded or just seen a cow with a brand on it. Has anybody driven through Texas? You'll see about five million of those. It might make you never want to eat beef again, but I still like to eat lots of it. Sorry, side note. But God puts his brand on us and says, you are mine. And that is such a good thing. You know why? Because we all belong to somebody. Remember, who is your master is the question that we need to be asking. So Jesus says, the name of God is on you. But then we've got the city of God, which signifies our citizenship in heaven. Remember, this is not my home. If you ever get to the point where you're going, man, things just don't seem right here. Things just seem like they're a mess. Well, true, but this is not our home. We're never supposed to find our ultimate fulfillment here. We're never supposed to find our ultimate satisfaction and our ultimate pleasure here. Remember, God put things all over the universe so that we would be drawn to him. Why does he make such beautiful sunrises and sunsets? So that we would be drawn to the sun, S-O-N, the one that created it. Why does he give us such amazing relationships with each other? Why did he give us spouses? Why did he give us kids to love on and to protect? All of that was to point back to our Heavenly Father. All of that was to point to the ultimate bridegroom, the Lord Jesus himself. Well, this letter ends like all the rest of them. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which means personalize it. Understand that, yes, while this was written to a church, it was also written to us. This is meant for us to hear through all the ages. So until Jesus does come again, we should continue to read these letters over and over again, and then we should continue to heed them. Are we willing to be like the church in Philadelphia? Are we willing to be put into the pot of boiling water? Because when we are, we've got to ask ourselves, am I becoming mushy and just caving in because I don't want to rock the boat? Am I becoming hard-hearted because I'm so angry at the world for what it's doing? Or am I getting poured out and changing the culture because I know who it is that lives inside of me? Are we ready to be culture changers? Well, the way that we do that really is by asking one simple question. And again, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I jotted this down for myself while I was just doing my own personal time with the Lord. Dave, are you living solely for the glory of Jesus, solely because you love him above all else this very moment? Right here, right now, am I living solely for the glory of Jesus, solely because I love him above everything else? If I can answer yes to that question, I can't go wrong. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we just praise you again, most of all for who you are. Lord, may we be just like the church in Philadelphia that instead of getting mushy when hard times come or instead of becoming hard-hearted when hard times come, Lord, may we be the culture changers because we know who it is that lives inside of us. Lord, we know we can do nothing to change the environment that we're in. We can do nothing to change the culture that we're in or the people that we're around, but we know that you can. We know that you can soften hearts, that you can be the one who makes the ultimate change for your glory and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that through us. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we get in the way. And that, Lord, you would restore us and that you would use us again. 
May we be just like the church in Philadelphia that loves you above all else. Lord, may we glance at the problems that are around us and the things that are going on around us so that we're aware, but Lord, may our gaze be fixed solely and completely on you. Lord, we are so thankful that one way or another you will take us home to be where you're at because of what you've done on our behalf. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.